You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Now that the good part's over, kids can leave. All right, good to see you today, and uh, thank, thank you for letting us be here. Uh, worked out, it did work out well, uh, Brother Haley called. I guess we talked, probably, it may have been a couple months ago that he, that he had asked me about maybe having somebody from our church fill in today. Uh, we, have, we have some staff guys, and, and uh, we have, a, we have a, a man scheduled uh, to preach at our church today already, and, and so I called him back and said, would it be all right if I just came? And uh, so, I mean, it may be ulterior motives. I'll just be honest with you. My, we just spent a week at camp with a bunch of teenagers. And I was like, babe, this would be a chance to get away from kids for at least a morning. So, no, we, we had a great time at camp. If we're a little bit, if we're dragging a little bit, it's because we drove almost a thousand miles one way to take our kids to camp. We took them to Bill Rice Ranch in Tennessee. We drove all night there, Sunday night. And then this, past, this two days ago, Friday, we drove all night on the way back and got in about 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and then we crashed hard last night. So, uh, but we're, but that's, uh, we love young people, and I was a youth pastor for years. Uh, up until two years ago, that's when I, I, I came up to uh, Sioux Falls to take the church there at Eastside Baptist Church, and so my first pastorate there. Uh, we love South Dakota. We've enjoyed our time here. The winters, you know, I'll just say, that's all i got to say about the winters. Um, but, you know, this, we're glad for the summer right now. So uh, we, we do love, we really do love South Dakota. We've already fallen in love with the state. And uh, I, I wanted to just tell you how much your pastor uh, means to me. I appreciate him. We haven't spent a lot of time with each other. Um, but don't take for granted that God has given you a man like Jesse Haley to be your pastor. And that guy, he's a blessing and he's just solid and loves the Lord. And I think, I mean, I look around here. I mean, this is, this is pretty incredible a lot of a lot of churches planted in a lot of places that that never have a group like this ever in the life of that church, and uh, I look around the room and I'm just I'm rejoicing with you about what God's doing here in Elk Point, and thankful to be able to be a part of it today. Um, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Genesis chapter two. My, is my lapel on? Everything good? Sounding good? Okay, I think we're good. Um, I'm going to talk about something that I, I've, I've get more passionate about the older I get, and that is my yard, <laughs> my grass. Uh, the last few weeks have been hard on grass here in this area. My grass is yellow, and I feel like a failure as a neighbor, a failure as a citizen that my grass is not very green. Well, uh, I, one time last year, again, the older I get, the more passionate I get. I got home, and I was seeing areas in my lawn that are that were yellow and not looking good. And so I had just got home. I, I'm a pastor, so I worked at the church all day. And, and I got home, and I just saw the spots, and I was like, i got to take care of this right now. So I got the hose. I unhooked the hoses, set the sprinklers up in exactly the right spot. You know what I'm talking about, men? Exactly the right spot to have the most coverage um, that you can. We don't have a sprinkler system, so we're doing it the old school way still. And so I set it all up, and it was... And, uh, and I started it and realized, you know, the water's not exactly where it needs to be. So I'm, 
I'm going on you know, secret missions in, under, into the kill zone to try to avoid the water and uh, moving sprinklers and then running back out of it. You know? And my, my wife, I looked up and my wife was watching me and I was like, what's she looking at? Well, I looked down, I'm, I'm in my dress shoes and my khakis and I have a pullover sweater on and I'm kind of got wet a little bit and I'm looking at myself, I'm looking at the yard. I look at my wife and I said, I am officially my father. Dads are, dads are passionate about their yards, aren't they? You should be. I mean, there's just something about it. You want to have the best-looking grass on the neighbor, in the neighborhood. And um, I'm a little, bit, a little bit obsessed, though. We were watching America's Funniest Home Videos, and, and somebody, some crazy thing happened, like a dog took off and tripped its neighbor, some, some calamity. And, and my kids, are, everyone's laughing at what happened, and I said, ooh, they have a nice yard. That's what I noticed. <laughs> I have officially become my father. Well, you know, on this Father's Day, um, you know, I just want to point out some things from Genesis 2. You know, I, I, I did get that from my father, but I, I got some good things from my dad, too. You know, my dad, is a, he's a godly man who loves the Lord. And uh, I, I, received, I received from him how to love God and put him first in your life. I received from my dad, you know, things like, uh, going to church and leading your family in a godly way and how to let the Word of God be life's guidebook and how to trust God in difficulties and the desire to have a nice lawn. I did pick that up from my dad. Um, I think it was Brother Ralph saying how, how they follow in our footsteps and they do, but I'm thankful that I also picked some good things, some spiritual things up for my dad. And, and I, I'm thinking about our country right now and I'm right now, and I'm thinking about last summer especially when things were just in uproar and chaos and I was I was asking myself as, as, as young people were walking through our cities and just tearing stuff down, and they're still doing it in, in certain places, and, and I'm just thinking, where are their dads? That crossed your mind? You know, where are their dads? Has anybody ever taught them about respect and how to fix a problem actually with a real solution and not just to um, get upset when things don't go your way, and maybe the dad wasn't present, maybe... The dad dropped the ball, or maybe that they were there, they just didn't take the lead, and maybe we've become so child-centric that the kids are calling the shot, but the, the biggest problem is that, the, in my opinion, is that the average dad um, no longer raises children according to God's Word, and we're seeing the results of that in family units across the country and really around the world, family units without God, and if there's any salvaging our country... There needs to be a shift in understanding what the right kind of dad looks like. And, and I'm going to call it today the dad paradigm. Okay, I don't know if you know, if you've heard the word paradigm, a paradigm is, is a typical example. It's the model of what something should look like. And a paradigm is how, or it could be how you look at something. And, and I think that our, cultural, our culture's dad paradigm is off. The way that our culture looks at dads and says, that's what a dad should look like. You know, you think about it. The media says, dad is dumb. You watch any of these kids shows on TV and dad's always the dumb one. He's always the last one to pick, on, pick up on what's actually happening in the house. Um, you know, feminism says, dad is unnecessary. The young generation says, dad's out of touch. Uh, many families think dad is disinterested. Many others think dad's not even around you know, our, cultural's, our culture's paradigm on dad or our idea of what a dad should look like is so far off. And we have to be careful 
uh, of defining the right kind of dad based on cultures, uh, our culture, our personal experience. I mean, you may have grown up in a good home and with a hard-working dad who, who loved you and was moral, but that's even that's not the best way to shape your dad paradigm. Um, as Bible believers, we have to accept that the most accurate glimpse of a paradigm, of how we look at something, it, it really only comes from God's Word. And there are many places that we could turn. I, we could look at Deuteronomy 6 and see how God uh, told dads to teach the Word of God to their children, and that's important. We could turn to Ephesians and see how, how Paul gave instructions to dads. We could, we could turn to the book of Proverbs, which is literally a letter from a dad to his son on how to live with wisdom. But, but as I was thinking, where should we get our dad paradigm? Because I was looking around the room, and I was thankful for all the dads in here today. You know, and if our culture is where it is because dads weren't present, I'm thankful that there are dads present here this morning because it shows that you are interested in investing in the next generation in a way that maybe we could change some of these trends in our country. But where do we look? What's the paradigm? Well, you know, let me just give you, I I thought of Genesis 2, this is a little bit out of the box, but Genesis 2, you think, well, I don't see a dad here except that Luke 3:38 says that Adam is the, was the son of God. So God, you know who the first father was? God the father. You know who the best father is? God the father. You know who the best example of a good dad and where we ought to probably look for a dad paradigm is? Well, I think we ought to look at God and the way that he parented Adam because he did parent Adam. Adam's the son of God. So today I want to look at Genesis 2, which established that first father-son relationship. And what I want to see this morning, I want this to be practical and helpful, is I want you to see five marks of the best father ever. Five marks of the best father or the greatest father. And number one, I want you to see here that a, father, a great father is soul conscious. Look at verse 7. We'll start reading in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Down there, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So this is interesting. God was was concerned about Adam's body. He gave Adam a body. Adam had to have a body to do what God wanted him to do. He had to have a physical body so that he could carry out the jobs that God gave him. He had to have a vessel through which that he could work And God formed Adam with the dust of the ground, it says here. So that means he literally took dirt from the ground as the natural material from which Adam's body was created. And like a potter with clay, that's literally the idea here, is that like a potter with clay, God created this incredible, complex, uh, miraculous body with processes that occur automatically, like your heart is beating and your, your lungs are, you're breathing in and out and your brain is functioning unless you're a teenage boy um but your brain is sorry i've been at camp with teenagers all week so i came so god created this this body sorry guys didn't mean to offend you here god created this first body for adam so that he could do what he was supposed to do but i want you to i just want you to see god didn't just create adam as a body god created that body but it says that god then breathed into the his nostrils the breath of life, so that Adam became a living soul. God didn't just make a body. He breathed his life into Adam. 
and he animated Adam's body so that Adam could reflect God as having his image. See, Adam became a person that could relate to God and and that could uh, reflect God himself. God saw his son Adam and as more than a body. He breathed into him a soul. And the truth is, this is the first great mark or mark of a great dad is that we need some dads in our culture that are more interested in who their kids are than just in what their kids can do. See, I'm all for sports and I'm all for academics and I'm all for skills and abilities and development. But we live in a world that is focused on what children can do and and their sports and their academics and their talents rather than focusing on how they reflect the image of God. And dads, our children, uh, they will get plenty of encouragement to play ball. But who's going to challenge our children to live a life that reflects the image of God above all else? You know, you think about that. They, they will hear from everywhere. You know, be a good ball player. And, and, and basketball, just the, the NBA playoffs are going on. And, and I haven't really watched much NBA in a while, but I was following what was happening last night. Game seven, the Nets and the Bucks, And, and uh, went into overtime. And everyone's talking about how great of a game it was. And, and that is our culture. They're lifting up things like basketball. And they're lifting up things like academics. And, and your children will be encouraged to do good in school and do good in sports and develop their talents. They're going to get all kinds of encouragement to do those things. But on what side, from where, are they going to hear, but son or daughter, you're more than a body. I'm more interested in what you just do. I'm interested in who you are before God. I, a dad needs to be soul conscious. Not just encouraging his children to do things and to, and to accomplish things, but to be what they're supposed to be. The best dads are not content with children that just develop the externals. They will stop at nothing to raise children who prioritize their spiritual lives. And we say uh, we prioritize the inward person, but compare, listen, compare the time and the investment that we make into our children's spiritual life compared to things like baseball practices and basketball and sports in general and, and their academics. You know, when they come home, and this is a good measure, when they come home, dads, are we make, or, or we come home, are, do we say, did you, pra- did you uh, practice your piano today? Um, did you do your homework today? Those are good things. I'm not saying they're bad things. And there's a lot of dads in our country, maybe even in our churches, that come home and the first question they ask is, did you do your homework? Did you practice your piano? Did you practice your sports? And never ask their children, did you read your Bible today? Did you walk with the Lord today? Because our children are more than bodies, they are souls. And we must, as a good, the, the greatest dad ever looked at Adam and said, I'm not just content with him to be a body. I'm going to breathe into the breath of life a soul so that he can be more than just a body. I want him to relate to me. It's not just about hunting. It's not just about fishing. It's not just about strength training and weightlifting. It's about, no, is my child spending time walking with the Lord? And am I, as a dad, prioritizing that in their lives? You know, dads, we ought to be careful that we never prioritize something like practices or school functions over church attendance. Because the message we are sending to our children is that your academics or your physical body, your, your ac- athletics is more important than your spiritual life. 
I think that's where a lot of dads have gone wrong is they've forgotten that their children are first souls and second bodies. The ideal dad, the ideal dad paradigm from the best father ever, ever is to be soul conscious. Your child is a first a soul with the capacity to love and relate to God. Don't rob them of that highest and most satisfying calling by convincing them it's more important to win games and get scholarships. They can do those things, but their first passion should be for God. The greatest father ever, ever was soul conscious. Second, a great father, number two, and these are practical. If you want to write them down, that's fine. A great father is soul conscious. A great father is responsibility oriented. Now look at this, and, and look at Adam's responsibilities in the garden. Look at verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens of the earth, and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heaven and the, the earth and the heavens. The, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man until the ground. Okay, so there wasn't anybody when he first created, he hadn't placed a man in the garden to take care of the garden yet. Look down at verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Look down at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So I hope it's obvious here that God created Adam, his son, Adam, he created him to have responsibilities. He placed him in the garden with the task of taking care of the garden. Adam had a defined responsibility. And so Adam was also then tasked with naming the animals. We read that in a little bit. That would have been a tough job, by the way. You know, if, uh, the first time somebody brings you a porcupine, and you say, first, first of all, what is that? What's happening here? Second of all, what do I call that? I mean, what do I name an aardvark or a hippopotamus? I mean, that would have been... That would not have been an easy job, but it would, have, it would have been a difficult job, and Adam did it. That guy, he had responsibilities. You know, and you say, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be silly about it. No, the point is God gave Adam responsibilities. You know, great fathers give their children responsibilities. You know, uh, we've always tried to give our children responsibilities, like chores, and they have daily things that they're supposed to do, and some people think that's just silly. No, but no, the trend in our day is for kids to sleep till about noon and then wake up and turn on the Xbox or get out their phones and do that until bedtime uh, the next morning around 2 or 3 in the morning. And you say, well, I can't believe people do that. Well, you should just ask around. That's what a lot of young people are doing these days. Dads, if the first father shapes our paradigm, then we as Bible believers should engage our children in clearly defined, consistent tasks and responsibilities. Christians have bought into the mindset that kids and teenagers just exist. No, but I'm telling you, young people, children even can contribute to your household. And for those of you uh, in a generation before me, I mean, you really understand this. Children contributed to households, and now children just exist in households. They're consumers in households. And, uh, you know, as long as they don't cause too much trouble, they can just live in our home and, and even without contribution. No, that's not a Genesis 2 dad paradigm. If we are going to be like the greatest father ever, then we should create responsibilities. And all the children in here or the young people are saying, yeah, don't talk about this. Please stop talking about this. 
you know, if anyone lived in an environment in which life could just be enjoyed, it was Adam. But the perfect father, the perfect dad paradigm we get, he was giving Adam, even in a perfect setting, he was giving him responsibilities. Dads, if we're going to raise children to rise above the culture's expectations, we need to give them responsibilities. Lay out expectations and then follow up uh, with how they're doing with those. If God thought his son Adam would benefit from responsibilities, who are we to think that our sons and daughters wouldn't benefit from it? And, and I know this sounds like a silly thing. You might think, I can't believe people do that or don't do that. But I'm telling you, home after home after home. I talk to young people even in our church, and I'm just shocked at, at how long they sleep and how little they do. And you, you, talk, you talk about raising children that are different than all their peers. Teach them to work. Teach them to have responsibilities. Give them an expectation and then make sure they meet it. Check up on their work. Inspect what you expect. You've heard that before. You know, give them some responsibilities. And you say, well, I think you're just being too hard. I'm just trying to give you a dad paradigm from the greatest father ever. He gave his children, his son, Adam, responsibilities, and he expected him to get them accomplished. You know, when it comes to responsibilities in your home, whose paradigm defines it for you and your children? Um, because things that were once considered privileges, like video games or devices or screen time, those are now considered rights. The default now is the screen, and the exception is the responsibility. Well, maybe it's time to flip those. And maybe we go back to where the default responsibility, the default is the responsibility, because that's how it was for Adam, and the, and the exception is the downtime. Because the truth is, that was the pattern that God set himself. How many days did he work? He worked six days. How many days did he rest? Well, he rested one day. Did he rest? Absolutely, he did rest. But the rest was the, except, was the exception, and the, respo- the work, the responsibility, that was the rule. And now we've just flipped it. Well, you talk about raising children that would be different than their culture. Let's teach them to be responsibility-oriented. So the greatest father ever, he was soul-conscious, and he was responsibility-oriented, And number three, the greatest father ever, a great father, is boundary-minded. Boundary-minded. Our culture says, don't give your children boundaries. Boundaries hurt your children. Don't be too hard on your children. Let them develop into who they feel they should be. Constraints are limiting to our children. And that philosophy, folks, has bred a generation of young people that don't like it when anyone tells them something different than what they want to hear. I mean, cancel culture is here and it's proud and it's loud. Cancel culture means that if someone says something that I don't like or that I disagree with, I can cancel them. And yet, uh, we, it's amazing how, how little value young people now place on someone telling them the truth. Because instead of throwing fits on the floor of Walmart... As toddlers, now they're 20-somethings, and they're burning down Portland. And they're burning down Memphis. I mean, I mean Minneapolis. And, you know, this environment, that environment, it, you know, it should convince us of the importance of boundaries, <laughs> not just to get rid of the boundaries. The, I mean, the first and greatest father ever gave clear boundaries to his son. Look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. 
For in the day thou eatest, that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. So if Adam was, a, was part of this new generation, he would say, no, God said I couldn't eat of that tree. That's the one tree I want. You're canceled. And that really, that would be his response if he's following the culture's trends of today. But God gave Adam very clearly defined boundaries. The greatest father ever. And listen, the great, a great father is not afraid to give boundaries to his children. People, and here's the interesting thing. People talk about God like he's a no kind of a father. Not this, no to that, no fun. But listen, God gave Adam countless opportunities to enjoy life. You know, think about this. God said no to that one tree in the whole garden. So Adam had opportunities to eat every other tree in the garden. He could go wherever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. He just had that one tree. And people say that God is such a mean God and that he's a no God. No, in my opinion, God is a yes God. God wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to be spiritually happy. He wants us to be satisfied and content. He wants us to enjoy life. And by giving us a couple of boundaries, it's not like he's saying you can never have fun. He's saying, no, these boundaries are meant to protect you so that you can live the kind of life you ought to live. Don't let the world's dad paradigm convince you that boundaries are bad for your children. Boundaries, uh, listen, I don't know about you. I've raised five children. My oldest has been to a year of college. So, I, I mean, we haven't finished raising them. I get it. But my children needed no help when they were little. Um, to, my, my children never needed help with, uh, with wanting uh, to have more freedom. That's natural. It is natural for them to kick off restraints and want to do whatever they want to do. No, my children never needed help in that regard. My children need help in limiting themselves. Because if we leave our children to their own devices, a child left to his uh, own devices, basically, the Bible says, brings his mother, mother to shame. And so we've got to be mindful. In fact, boundaries aren't there to hurt our children. Boundaries are there to protect them from the dangers of life. And if you love your children then put some boundaries in their life. It's okay. I guess let them express themselves. But if in their expression of themselves, there's a rebellion or there's sin, that is never okay to express yourself in a way that defies God or defies their parents. But be mindful. I know this is not, this is anti-cultural, okay? This is, this is opposed to what the culture is teaching us. But God gave his son Adam boundaries. And he saw the need for boundaries, and it wasn't for misery. It's so that Adam could continue living in the kind of freedom that God wanted him to live in. If we follow this father's paradigm, we will embrace boundaries as protection. Dads, can I just tell you this? Nobody else tells you this. You're not a bad dad if you have and enforce godly house rules like respect and honesty and obedience and kindness. You're not a bad dad if you follow godly morals in your home and you require them of your children. Dads, you're not a bad dad if you limit your child's expression in the areas that would go against what God's teaching them in his word. You're not a bad dad. You're not a bad dad if when your children break the rules that you practice reasonable, godly, biblical consequences. You're not a bad dad. You're not a bad dad if you train your children to obey you even from an early age. And you say, well, they can't really obey. I mean, they're only three. They can obey when they're three. It requires some training, but they can. You're not a bad dad if you refuse to let your children do what they want instead of letting God's word shape their life. 
You're not a bad dad if you don't let your children watch things that would be questionable. You're not a bad dad if you make your children dress a certain way to highlight who they are in Christ rather than following trends or being immodest. Uh, you're, you're, the world is telling dads they're bad if they give boundaries, but Genesis 2 tells us that the best dads give boundaries. And I'd love to spend more time on that, but, I mean, give boundaries. Boundaries like, listen, every dad ought to consider teaching your children. Obey your parents. Be honest in every situation. Be respectful to other people, especially your authorities. Dress modestly. Dress to highlight your spirituality, not your sensuality. Embrace the gender God created you in spirit, in appearance, in family role, in your sexuality. And the, the, listen, the world does not let us talk about these things or we're canceled. But listen, those are boundaries that it is perfectly fine. It doesn't make you a bad dad if you have those kind of boundaries. It's okay to set boundaries and expect children to follow them. And it can't be harmful if God the Father did it. Don't let the world tell you it is. We need some dads to step out of friend zone and step into father's zone with some boundaries. So a great father is soul conscious. A great father is responsibility oriented. A great father is boundary minded. And fourth, a great father is marriage focused. See, God was concerned about Adam's marriage. Look at, uh, look at verse eight, 18. Said, and the Lord God said, It is not good that man should that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. Look at verse 20. And and Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Do you understand? Kind of like here's what's happening. Adam is is naming the animals and they're coming to him in pairs. And he's saying, Well, there's the elephant and the and the lady elephant, and there's the horse and the lady horse, and there's the dog and the lady dog, and there's the cat, and so on. And he's looking around and and he's, and he's looking at all these animals and saying, well, they all have matches. You know, where's mine? And, and in, in some ways, some people think he's, he thinks that maybe his, his match is going to be found among the, I mean, he doesn't know. It's like, well, maybe mine is coming and, and, and the, the match never comes. Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of the, his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. I love this about the first relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. And this is important. I want you to understand about this point is when it comes to a great father, if you want a paradigm that's based on the greatest father ever, marriage is very important. See, God wanted Adam to have a partner, someone to help him, someone equipped for Adam's needs. And God took great care in providing Eve for Adam. And the big principle here is that marriage matters to God. The husband-wife relationship matters to God, and it's essential to God's plan for reproduction and replenishing the earth that where more children will come from that bear God's image. There are a couple of good applications here in that first, God prepared his son Adam to be married. He talked about the importance of Adam needing a relationship. He wanted a certain kind of wife for Adam. What kind of wife will help meet for Adam? He obviously explained how the marriage relationship worked because Adam knew, and this before Adam, Adam didn't even have an earthly father and mother. And yet Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. 
So Adam had an idea of how the marriage relationship was supposed to work. And, and, and so God prepared Adam to be married. And dads, we should strive to raise children that value marriage, that value the relationship, and, and raise them in such a way that you have the right kind of spouse in mind for them. And what I mean by that is, in other words, great dads raise their children in such a way that they'll be prepared for a great spouse. Uh, consider the kind of spouse, dads with children at home still, consider the kind of spouse that you want your children to marry. Raise them accordingly. I mean, think about the kind of person, dads, that you want your daughter to be married to and raise your daughter as if she's going to marry that kind of a person. Have somebody in mind. Um, With your son, parents, raise your children uh, thinking about their future wife and think, okay, this is the kind of wife that I want them to marry. How would I raise my son or raise my daughter to marry that spouse? How would I raise them knowing that's the kind of person that they'll marry? Because listen, how you raise them, the kind of person they become, that's the kind of person they will attract someday. So listen, dads and moms, how we let our children dress will attract a certain kind of person. And, and, and people, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, they kind of steer away from that stuff. And listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Pharisee about it. I'm just saying if we let our children act and behave and dress and talk and do certain things in certain ways, think about the kind of person that will attract. And let those kind of things determine how you let your children behave and act and dress. Because they will attract the kind of person that they're prepared to attract. Marrying somebody that doesn't value the Lord or doesn't value marriage, that could lead to spiritual ruin. So raise them in such a way to have high expectations of the kind of person they might marry someday. And so dads, if you have daughters, be the kind of man you want your daughter to marry someday. I mean, moms, be the kind of, 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 of lady that you want your sons to marry. Because they'll be drawn to the kind of people that we are. We need to value marriage. And I think our culture, we, I, I mean, I don't have to think this, it's happening. Our culture is, is, is downplaying and downgrading the value of the marriage relationship at, at alarming rates these days. Not only have they just completely you know, said it's not necessary, they've completely def- redefined marriage. It no longer looks like what the Bible relationship looks like. And it's time for God's people to value marriage again. And even in the way that we raise our children. Dads understand, another, here's another element to it. The best preparation you can implement in your home is to put your marriage first. You want to raise your children in a way that they have high priorities, then make your marriage first. Listen, our children are important, but our marriages come first. Adam said a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and those two become one. That means the marriage relationship is priority number one above all else. Dads, your best asset in raising your children is, for the Lord is that your strongest relationship is with a person they call mom. And I know not every family looks the same. I get that. But listen, who you're married to, dads, that should be priority number one besides God. After God, love her most. Put her first. Too many homes are child-centric and therefore imbalanced. And it's all about the children. And you know, you've seen this happen. Once the children are out of the home, where does the marriage go? It's gone. Your marriage, listen, when your children are gone, it'll still be you and her, dads. So put her first. Have a marriage-centered relationship. 
the greatest fathers are marriage-centered. A great dad is marriage-focused. I quote, somebody said, the most important thing a father can do for his children is love their mother. If you love and honor and lift up someone above the rest, let it be your wife. Your sons will see that and follow suit. And your daughters will respect you for that kind of commitment. And they'll seek a man that does the same to them. The best help, listen, the best help I can give my children is to love God first and love my wife second. And I love my children dearly, but a proper dad paradigm says put my wife first. Our families need dads that are marriage focused. So soul conscious, responsibility oriented, boundary minded and marriage focused. And then finally, a great father is relationship driven. Relationship driven. See, God created mankind so he could have a relationship. You know, you think about that. Why else would he create man and woman? What, what does God have to gain except that he enjoys fellowship? You know, Genesis 3, 8, we can see it. He comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve, they were hiding because they had sinned. But, they, but that, that verse indicates that that was something they and God, them and God were doing. He would come, he would meet with them, they would fellowship together, they would spend time together, they were expecting that. God created you, God created us, God created mankind for a relationship of fellowship. I mean, we find out even more in the New Testament that God wants to fellowship with us. 1 John 1, 3 says that our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And and, And I have to say this too, that, you know, God created you for a relationship of fellowship but you'll never have a relationship with God until you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. He wants a relationship with you. It's so much so that even though we're sinners, He sent His Son to die on a cross in our place for our sins so that our sin debt could be paid. And all we have to do is receive that payment for sin by faith. We don't have to work for it. There's nothing we have to do except simply believe. And Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you could have a relationship with your Father. And you this morning, could re- that relationship could be restored if you would simply receive him by faith. But I, I say that to just point out the fact that our relationship with God, should, a great dad is, the mo- is most interested in a relationship. It's a relationship with your children that you should be seeking. Listen, dad, I know you're the authority and I know you're the leader and you've been tasked with certain responsibilities in your home and your greatest contributions, though, will be undermined if you don't exhibit love to your children. A desire to have a relationship with them is, is first. I mean, God created Adam and Eve to walk with them. And yet some dads, well, I mean, they're dads and they're authority and they're strong and they're heavy-handed, uh, but there's not a relationship there. And what they're doing is losing the hearts of their children. If God created Adam and Eve to have a relationship with them, then as the father, and he's my paradigm, I should choose to have a relationship of love with my children. Boundaries are important, but listen, you're, not a, you're more than a taskmaster. Rules are helpful, but fellowship cannot be neglected in this process. Law matters, but so does grace. I mean, God removed Adam and Eve from the garden because of sin, but he did so because of mercy. He, wanted, he said, I will restore you. There's a promise of restoration there because the relationship mattered to to God the Father. And not only that, then he sent his son Jesus Christ to make it all happen. Listen, we need some dads to focus not just on the fact that they're dad, not just on the fact that they're the authority, not just on the fact that they're the breadwinner and they're in charge, but we need some dads that, that focus on the relationship they have with their children. Dads, you are more than a breadwinner. 
Work matters and it's important, but we need some fathers who will set aside opportunities to make some uh, extra money and to work a little more so that they can be present and active in their children's lives. Dads, don't come home after a long day of work and plop down on the couch and ignore your family. Listen, I know that they're, I know you're tired and I know they may have stuff to do, but, but we need dads that will be present. I mean, at supper time, turn the phone upside down or leave it in the other room so that you can listen and ask questions and talk with your children. I believe we're losing our children because dads aren't present. And I don't even just mean present physically because there are plenty of dads that are present physically and that they're in the home, but they're not present emotionally. And they're not present spiritually. We want to help change the trend, not just in our culture, but in our families. We need quality, quantity time. It matters. Our children need to see that we value them and we want to be around them and we want a relationship. And I mean, dads, if you're running the Menards, uh, not Menards, uh, they were mean about the masks. So um, <laughs> if you're going to run the fleet farm, okay, I mean, don't go by yourself. I mean, go find one of the kids. And I, you say, well, that's silly. No, I mean, it's a small thing, but it's an investment. You say, I know I'm, go, I'm going to Fleet Farm. I'm going to be gone for an hour because Fleet Farm is awesome. They have everything. <laughs> and so, hey, my son, Jace, Jace, what are you doing? But throw some shoes on. Or better, more accurately, throw a shirt on or put anything on. <laughs> Get in the car. You don't even have to bring a mask. We're going to Fleet Farm, Okay. <laughs> And I know that's a small thing, but you're going to Fleet Farm anyway. Why not take one of them? I mean, you're going to sit down and eat anyway. Why not leave the phone somewhere else and use that time to talk? You know, our children, I'm just telling you, that relationship matters. And the hearts of our children are being, they're going to be pulled to something. You know, your child's heart will be drawn to something. And if there's a vacuum in the relationship, in other words, if there's nothing there in terms of a father they're going to find that, that somewhere else. And we need to make sure that we're careful not to just let them be drawn to anything. As a dad, that relationship matters. And I, I believe the condition of our country right now is because we have a couple of generations with generally absent fathers. That's, this is the proper dad paradigm. You know, the world has a faulty view of, of a dad. And we need to take our eyes from the, the, or our cues from the first and perfect father who was soul conscious and responsibility oriented and he was boundary minded and he was marriage focused and he was relationship driven. And maybe your dad paradigm has been molded by your experiences and maybe it's been molded by the culture and may or may be affected by your preferences or established by the, what you've seen happening around you in anything that can't be traced, dads, anything that can't be traced back to a biblical worldview will lead to a faulty dad paradigm which will likely not produce godly offspring. Let God's example as a father define your dad paradigm. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If you want your child raising efforts to be unsuccessful, you can follow your own paradigm. That's fine. If, if, you don't, if, if, if your way seems right to you and you don't really mind where it ends up, then just, you just come up with it. That's fine. But if you want to produce godly offspring, 
children that love and serve God with all their hearts, that put God first and will still be in church when they're adults and taking your grandkids to church and spiritually investing in your, your, your uh, next generation, their generation, which is your grandkids and your family, affecting your, your family's name for God. If you want that, though, then maybe it's time for us to stop saying, okay, this is paradigm, this is what my dad did, it's fine. No, but it's what your dad did, what, what the greatest father did. That, this should be our paradigm. It should come directly from God's word. And even, even, even more specifically, it should come from the example of the greatest father ever. The marks of the best father ever was that he was soul conscious and responsibility oriented and boundary minded and marriage focused and relationship driven. There's no better way to pattern our lives as dads than after our heavenly father. Maybe a dad this morning, you said, I've, I've kind of switched my paradigm and I've begun to try to operate in my own wisdom or how I think it should be done or how I've seen it done. And really, I don't think that's going to work. I need to humble myself before God and, and say, God, would you shape the paradigm for me as a dad? I want to follow your footsteps because only the way God, only the way you do it as my father, that's the only guarantee that it will be done the right way and that will put my children in the best position to someday follow God for themselves. Dads, would you be willing to do that this morning? Let, let God the Father shape your dad paradigm. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We'll have a time of invitation this morning. And if the Lord's working on your heart today about, about